What do you wonder? What do you wonder? I wonder, I wonder a lot about the future and how my kids are going to turn out and if I'm doing them right. I wonder about um, what I want to do with my life as a young person. If God really sees me. I think a lot about how God has designed our planet and this universe and the world and I wonder how old the earth is. And wondering for me is your mind wandering and uh, that's where my mind wanders. Uh, I wonder what's in a wonder ball. Do you remember that? Do you remember the commercial? I wonder what my kids need, what my students need. I wonder what doing my best looks like. I guess I wonder if I'll be a good parent. I wonder if I'll inspire my kids. I wonder what the future looks like. I wonder all of the time what God's ultimate plan and goal is for this time in our history because I don't like it and I want to know what his goal is because I know it's way bigger than mine. I wonder how um, my dad's so amazing and was able to start a church and how God's worked through him so well. They didn't tell me my daughter was doing that in that video. That got me a little choked up. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so what do you wonder? I do wonder sometimes where my kids will be in the future and what they'll decide to do. I wonder if it's going to snow this year for Christmas, right? I wonder if it's going to snow at all. Come on. I mean, we need some snow around here. I wonder if I'm going to get lucky tonight. I wonder... It's game night at the Pennington household. What did you guys, come on, get your mind out of the gutter. Maybe you're wondering right now what my ugly Christmas sweater looks like underneath this vest. You're going to have to hold on. We will have a reveal before we're done today. What do you wonder? What do you wonder? Honestly, I wonder sometimes what it's going to be like, I bet you do too, to take my very last breath and to close my eyes for the very last time only to open them to whatever God has next. On that note, next week, I'm going to be preaching a sermon on the subject of heaven because my guess is when it comes to curiosity, when it comes to wonder, all of us have wondered, man, what is heaven going to be like? I think you'll appreciate that message. I want to encourage you to come back next week. I bet this will be a great message and weekend to uh, invite somebody to come and join you as well. So next week, we're going to be covering heaven. But for today, what I want to do is I want to look at a statement that Jesus once made that I think fits well with both this series, but also this season. Today I want to look at a statement that Jesus made that lends itself to a statement or a sentiment that we've all shared at some point in time, right? With childlike faith. I'm sure you've used this in your language, in your repertoire at some point in your life where it's like, hey, we just need to have more childlike faith. But I would be curious how many of us, even though we've used this, this reference, even though we've used this terminology, I'd be curious how many of us have actually taken the time to try to define it. Because if Jesus wants us to demonstrate this in our lives, wouldn't it make sense? Would it, wouldn't it work to our advantage to actually be able to define or at least give our best guess at defining what childlike faith looks like, which is what I'd like to do today. If you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew chapter 18. You can turn them on or you can turn them open. Find your way over to Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? After that, Jesus called a little child over to him, placed the child among them, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change, it's a key point to our talk today, unless you change, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child. And what would, it, what would that have meant to have a lowly position like a child? You have to keep in mind in this context, children were overlooked. Nobody really cared a whole lot about kids. They were kind of just somebody that you had to keep an eye on, but they were very um, undeserving in this particular context. They were very dependent on somebody to take care of all of their needs. They had nothing to offer. And so Jesus said, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Pretty strong words there. And so I can make two quick observations per what Jesus just said in Matthew 18. The first observation is that Jesus really cared for kids. Like he really cared for kids. And again, this would have been countercultural for his day. He really cared for kids. And so if we're going to take our cues from Jesus, which hopefully we do, then it makes a lot of sense for us to have a, a deep care, a deep sense of ownership, of wanting to look out for our kids, to develop our kids, to provide for our kids. And I want to take a time out really quick, and I want to celebrate something with you really quick. Um, a few weeks back, I asked you guys to grab some tags out in our lobby, because there were going to be some kids in our community that weren't going to experience this Christmas as the most wonderful time of the year, but we had the opportunity to change that, that we could actually change the experience, change the story of even just one child in our community. And I've been expressing how it takes so little effort on our part to be such a huge blessing in other people's lives. And so many of you took us up on that. And I just want to celebrate and honestly just say thank you because this past week we were able to take 300 gifts to Lutheran Family Services. 300 gifts. Yes, you can applaud that. And what was wild is when we got there and we were dropping these gifts off, Luther Family Services, like the administration there, let us know that they had lost so many church partners, and maybe that has, you know, from COVID casualties, I'm not sure exactly why they would have lost those partners, but we brought 300 gifts. They said the second church that brought the most gifts was only 20 gifts, and I just want you to, to think about that. Now, it's not a competition, but if it were, we won, okay? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, the coach coming out at me a little bit. But I do want to say thank you. One of our mantras here at Trace is that we extend hope when life hurts. And you helped us just do that for 300 kids in our community. So can we just give it up one more time for the spirit of gratitude here at Trace. So we know per this passage that Jesus is favorable towards children, but we can also see really quickly, like my second observation is that there's something about the characteristics of a kid that Jesus wants us to embrace. Like there's something about the characteristics of a kid that allow us to approach the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, with the right posture and with the right pursuit. And let me remind you of the words of Jesus when he's teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, Lord, your kingdom come. Like, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's something that we can do that allows us to usher what's happening in heaven to some extent. We can usher that here on earth, but Jesus is letting us know in this passage that that will likely be impossible unless we take the posture of a child. 
unless we embrace the characteristics of a kid. Now, we know that Jesus is not talking about being childish here, right? I want to remind you of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he said, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So per the words of Paul, this is not about bringing adolescence into adulthood, but it's about finding and embracing a childlike faith. And you know why I'm excited that I'm actually preaching this message right now? It's because there's something about this time of year where many of us, many of us find a way of connecting to this once again, don't we? Many of us find a way of connecting to this once again. There's something about the Christmas season that allows us to embrace certain aspects of our, child, of our childhood and allows us to enter back into that kind of that focus of having awe and wonder. Which leads me to a very important question. Do you think that God ever wanted us to lose awe and wonder? More specifically, do you think that God actually ever wanted us to lose sight of how wonderful he is, regardless of how old we get? Now, we can't possibly know what Jesus was referring to. We can't possibly know what Jesus was referring to and said, hey, unless you change, unless you change and you become like a child, it's going to be impossible to approach the kingdom of heaven the way that I would want you to. And so what I want to do is I just want to take some time and I want to think through, like, what does that look like? What does that look like? And what is it that happened to us as we grow up that God wants us to revisit? Because it seems per the passage that we just read that we lost something along the way that Jesus is telling us, I never wanted you to lose that. Like, I always wanted that to be wired within you. I wanted you to keep that. And so in your attempt to become sophisticated adults, you, you actually let go of something that I wanted you to keep with you. So what happens as we grow up? Like, what happens? Unfortunately, as we grow up, there are some things that we give up, and some of the things that we gave up as we grew up are actually things that God didn't want us to give up. Instead, he wanted us to grow in. Don't ask me to repeat that. And so I wonder. I wonder if God wired some things in us as kids that he fully intended for us to keep with us into our adult lives. And so what I want to do is I want to take the rest of our time together. And again, we can't possibly know exactly what Jesus meant, but I want to suggest to you that three things, three things of how we can embrace these childlike characteristics once again to help us to approach the kingdom of heaven the way that God wants us to would be these three things right here. That we need to break the chain of suspicion. That we need to believe that joy still available regardless of your circumstances and that we need to become more dependent on God. So let me start with that first one, breaking the chain of suspicion. When I was a child and my parents and the people at the church that I went to, they started to explain what it meant to be a sinner, right, and started to give me the gospel. Um, I never had a problem with that. Like, it made complete sense to me, probably because from the youngest of ages, I knew I was just a little pint-sized sinner. Like, you didn't have to explain it to me. And so, as it, was, as it was explained that God expected us to be perfect, 
And when we're not perfect, that means there's a gap between us and God. And the way we create that gap is because we sin. We do something that God didn't want us to do. That something has to fill that gap. And what fills that gap so that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father again was Jesus. Because Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He's the only one that ever lived a perfect life. And then he gave his life up for us. It just, it just made sense to me. It doesn't make sense to everybody, but it made sense to me. That I knew, like you didn't have to explain to me. You didn't have to describe to me that I had done things that God didn't want me, want, wanted me to do. I knew that I had done those things. And I knew that if God created all of this, then he had to have a purpose behind it. I talk to skeptics about this all the time because I really do believe that we've overcomplicated the gospel. When I'm talking to a skeptic, I won't even open the Bible, even though I believe that the Bible, the word of God is completely true and useful for all things. But if I'm talking to a skeptic, they don't look to the Bible the same way. So I say, let's just start here. Do you believe that all of this happened by accident? Because if you believe that all of this happened by accident, then you're going to have to have more faith than I have because to believe that all this happened by accident takes a lot of faith because the evidence shows that there has to be some kind of intelligent design. And if there's an intelligent design, let's call him God. If there's an intelligent design, that means there's a purpose behind creation. If there's a purpose behind creation, that means that there's a way that God wanted us to live. Makes sense. And what happens when you don't do the things that God, the creator of all that we see in front of us, what happens when you don't do what God wanted you to do? We call that sin. And God said, hey, when you sin and when you make that decision, it's going to separate you from me. And I want to fill that gap. And so he put this sacrificial plan into place. We won't get into the details of. But ultimately what he did is he sent his one and only son who helped him create all that you see. We read that in John. That through him all things were made. And without him nothing has been made that has been made. And Jesus came here as a human being, lived a perfect life. The only person to ever do that. And so if you'll just trust in him, the fact that he came to save you from your sin... He'll fill that gap for you, and you can now have a relationship with your Heavenly Father once again. It just makes sense to me. You see, skepticism is not typically found in the heart of a child. Skepticism has to be learned. Skepticism often comes on the other end of us trusting people that we should, like, we should have the, the natural expectation to trust them the most. It's the people who we think love us the most, but oftentimes it's the people that love us the most that let us down, that breeds the spirit of skepticism. It breeds the spirit of suspicion. But just to be clear, that wasn't wired within the heart of a child. It was learned. And with time, and you know this, those disappointments have a way of growing in number. I've fought the spirit of skepticism the majority of my life. I can trace the root of that all the way back to my parents' divorce when I was five years old. And it wasn't just that event because following even my parents' divorce were many examples of great disappointments that just supplemented this spirit of skepticism. And if it's helpful, I want to share a quick exercise with somebody in here, and I've shared this before, but something that I'm learning to do as I fight this kind of lack of trust, the spirit of lack of trust, the spirit of suspicion within me. All of us have expectations of people. All of us have experiences. A lot of times those expectations and those experiences don't line up, right? So when you expect something, or I'm sorry, when you experience something different than you expect, it creates a gap. 
And what you'll have a tendency to do is to fill that gap. If you're like me, you'll fill that gap with suspicion before you fill it with trust, especially if you've been given examples in the past of why you shouldn't trust people. And so I want to encourage you to do something that I'm still learning to do. When I experience something different than I expected, I'm going to fill that gap with trust before I fill it with suspicion because I don't want a spirit of skepticism following through my life. And honestly, I think when it comes to the words of Jesus, when he tells us to embrace the kingdom of heaven like a child, I think he's telling us to break this spirit of suspicion because that was learned. It wasn't given to you. So maybe you're like me. Maybe you need to do some work there. Maybe you need to think through, okay, God, what does this look like? This is not what you and how you created me to be. This is something I've learned with time. And if that little exercise helps, then great. If not, maybe you need to go to counseling. Maybe you need to figure out some different steps. But I can, can I encourage you to break the chain of suspicion. Let me take us in a different direction to make my next point. Uh, when I do weddings... My wife would tell you that if you've been to one Aaron Pennington wedding, you've been to them all, because I usually say the same thing. And uh, one of the things that I say when I get to the end of my little spill is that I mention how a little bit later that day, as they're at the reception, the new husband and wife, the bride and groom, will be invited to the dance floor. And they will be taking their arms, or maybe their hands or their arms in each other's, and they will dance for the very first time as husband and wife. And I look at them and I say, this will be your first dance as husband and wife. But please make sure that it's not your last. And then I give them this illustration. I talk to them about how it's interesting that one of the things that you don't have to teach a baby is how to dance. All right, I'll show this video really quick. For those of you that have had kids and raised kids, you know that, well, I'll just let you watch it. Watch it one more time. It's worth it. All right, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. And one more time. Emily and I have raised four kids beyond the toddler stages at this point. We can tell you we've seen this happen. And have you ever taken a moment? Just to think, like, why is that the case? Why is it that you don't have to teach a little kid how to dance? It's not even been demonstrated to them most of the time. And you put on a little bit of music, and as soon as they can get on their little chubby legs, they dance. It's as if God wired that in us, at least something in us that he always intended for us to use in a way to exude what it means to have joy. Can I remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul? In Galatians 5.22, when he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love and what? Joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so let me just remind you that if you've invited Jesus to be the leader and Lord of your life, if you know that you were a sinner and you invited him to fill that gap between you and your heavenly father, he gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he's partnering with you, working through you to produce these fruits, one of them being joy. And maybe as the Holy Spirit is trying to work within us and through us to produce specifically the fruit of joy, maybe there's something that he gave us, call it dancing or just being able to kind of just let go 
of the stress of life for a moment, kind of just let go of all the worry and all the weariness that's often consuming our lives and just to let go. And how maybe better to do that than to just dance. I know if you're a Baptist in here, you're struggling right now. I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm allowed to make fun of us, okay? Maybe God more often wants us to become like a child. Maybe drop in front of us, drop all the important things that we think we have in front of us, right? Drop all the important things in front of us. Instead, drop it like it's heaven, guys. This is church. Come on. Just let go. Maybe this evening or sometime in this Christmas season, just throw on some music. Grab the hand of your spouse. Pull her out in front of, put, pull him or her out in front of the Christmas tree. And just dance. Be reminded of the goodness of God. And that even if your circumstances aren't favorable right now, the Holy Spirit is in you. <laughs> He's trying to produce things like love, and joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, which means you're not on your own. Get the best gift that God could ever give you, partnering with you to produce these things. C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Maybe it should be the serious business of our lives. And so unless we change and become like children, unless we change and find some of those characteristics of what it meant to be a kid, just one of God's kids, we won't be able to approach the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven with the right posture and the right pursuit. So we break the chain of suspicion. We believe that joy, it's still available. And listen, I don't know your circumstances right now. I don't know how hard things are for you right now, but I do know without a shadow of a doubt that if the Spirit of God is in you, that joy, it's still available. The question is, do you know that? Do you know that regardless of the path that you once took, Regardless of the pain that you most certainly have felt, regardless of the problems that you currently face, that joy is still available. It's still available. But it's possible. It's possible that you've been looking for joy and fulfillment in all the wrong places and all the wrong people seeking out all the wrong pleasures. And you know, as well as I do firsthand, that if you go down those paths, it doesn't lead to joy, it leads to despair. Which is why Jesus probably said the words that he said in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Like, seek the kingdom of God first and live righteously, and he'll give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You see, if we seek anything else first to bring us fulfillment, other than our faith in Christ. It's not going to be a path to joy. It's a path to weariness, which is why a lot of people aren't singing, it's the most wonderful time of the year. They're singing, it's the most weary time of the year. Can I make a statement that I would encourage you to write down? If Jesus isn't enough for you, if Jesus isn't enough for you, I promise you nothing else in this life ever will be. If Jesus isn't enough for you, nothing else in this life ever will be. Which leads me to my last point. 
If Jesus says we need to change and to become like children in order to pursue the kingdom of God with the right posture, I believe that's going to be impossible unless we become more dependent on God. Think about it. All of us, when we came out of our mother's womb, all of us were 100% dependent. 100% dependent on someone else for our nurture, for our safety, for our security, for our shelter, right? We were completely dependent on someone else to do that. But as we got a little bit older, we started to learn that there are some things that we can take care of. You know, we can take care of these things for ourselves. And if you were anything like me when you stepped into your teenage years, you were like, don't tell me what to do. I got this. I got this. And if you want me to, to do something, or if you want me not to do something, just tell me to do it, right? I mean, you just have this spirit of <laughs> fighting against someone telling you how to live your life, the spirit of independence. But then something happened. We graduated, we left home, maybe you went in the military, maybe you got a job and you moved into your own apartment, maybe you went off to college, and the longer that we are away from those things that we once had, we start to see them differently, don't we? And maybe you go home for Christmas Eve and you actually start to think, man, this house is a lot bigger than I remember it. Like, my bedroom is bigger than my apartment now. And you start to appreciate things that you once took for granted has anybody ever picked up the phone to make a phone call or a quick text message back to a, a mom, a dad, or maybe a grandparent, somebody that took care of you when you were younger and just said, hey, I just want to let you know how appreciative I am of you. I took, I took for granted how great you were and how, how many things you took care of us, took care for us, and just sent them a text. And if you haven't done that in a while, can I encourage you to do it today? Can I encourage you to just pick up the phone today? Maybe it's a text message, maybe it's a phone call, and just call that person that took care of you that you were dependent on more than you thought you were until you kind of got out of the house. And just let them know how much you appreciate them. Something similar happens in our faith. Something similar happens as we grow up. You see, with time, our lives actually start to be more filled with experiences and start to be filled with more knowledge and even with resources. And with that increased knowledge and with those increased experiences and resources, we start to feel like, hey, we got this, right? I got this. And even if this is just for one person in here today, can I remind you, you don't got this. Like if you're depending on anything other than your heavenly Father to sustain you, to give you the true sustenance of life that you need, if you're trusting anything or anyone else other than your heavenly Father, you don't got this. And unfortunately, what often wakes us up from thinking that we can make our own way is being wounded. Broken promises. Broken hearts. Broken dreams. And these experiences have a way of increasing in number and breeding weariness into our souls, don't they? And let's be honest, no one wants to walk around feeling wounded. No one wants to walk around feeling weary. And so what happens is we start to look for things to fill us differently, to kind of remedy the broken reality of our lives. And if we've already drifted away from God and we stopped depending on God, maybe we kind of learned that behavior early on. We don't look to him. And what we start to do is we start reaching for things in the dark, hoping that we can find some kind of remedy for our broken reality. And we start reaching for things that just lead to more brokenness and more weariness. You ever been there? Because your pastor has. 
Maybe you do. Maybe it's you know, something extreme like alcohol and drugs and you end up with an addiction, but maybe it's not that intense for you. Maybe it's you're reaching for a screen constantly. You get lost in social media. Maybe it's porn and sexual sin. But I want to let you know, listen to me, as one of God's kids, which sometimes you just need to remind yourself of that, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at my staff and said, hey, can we just pause for a moment and be reminded that, yes, we got a lot of stuff in front of us. Yes, we've got so many people's stories and pain that we're trying to bring remedy to through faith in Jesus. But can we just stop and back up from it all and just remember personally that we're just one of God's kids? And as one of God's kids, he never intended you, intended for you to be reaching in the darkness, for ways to remedy the broken reality of your life, he fully expected you to depend on him. Fully on him. Every Sunday morning when I stand up here, um, before we start all of this, every morning when I stand up here and I'm doing a mic check and we're kind of working through kind of what the morning's going to look like, I repeat the same verse. Every single morning the team here would tell you this. It's John 1, the beginning of John's gospel. And I just remind, it's a good reminder for me. And it's a good reminder of the message that we're bringing to you. And so I just repeat it every Sunday morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light, it shines in the darkness. And the darkness will never overcome it. So how do we change? How do we change and become like little children so that we can approach the kingdom of heaven with the right posture and the right pursuit? None of us can know for sure. But can I suggest to you that it's breaking the chain of suspicion, that it's believing that joy, no matter your circumstances, is still available and becoming more dependent on God so that we're not reaching in the darkness for some broken reality or reaching in the darkness for some remedy to our broken reality, but instead we look to our Heavenly Father. Because at the end of the day, we're His kids. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you Thank you for words like what we got to focus on today, that we're reminded that sometimes we lose the very things that you created us with. When we try to become sophisticated adults, when we try to outgrow some of the things that you always intended us to grow in. And so God, I pray that your spirit would partner with us once again, and we would just be reminded that it is your spirit is working in us to produce these gifts in us, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You're trying to produce these things in and through our lives. Maybe we just need to open ourselves up to that more. God, I made several points today. I don't know what each individual person is going to hang on, but I pray that if there were something that helps them to open their eyes to see you differently, to embrace your kingdom in the way that you asked us to by, by looking at the characteristics of a kid a little bit differently, God, that you would bring us, especially in this season, 
that you would bring us to a place of childlike faith. Father, thank you for being a God that listens, for being a God that leans down, a God that cares, and a God that loves us enough to send his one and only son to die for us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.